uh, of the Bibles. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sean. Let's just take a, a few seconds to pray and ask God to speak through us, uh, through, through the psalm to each one of us. Father, thank you that your word is powerful and thank you that you take it and you speak into our lives. And as I look at the psalm this evening, pray, Father, that you'll take my words and apply them in whatever way they need to be applied to people's lives here. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a favorite psalm. How do you choose a favorite anything? It's usually because there's something associated with it that you remember, whether it's an event or whether it's an encouragement. What's your favorite place? It's somewhere that you've been to that was beautiful or something really good happened. So when I was asked to choose a favorite psalm, my mind went to several. The first one it went to was Psalm 121. And I wrote to Adam and he said, Ruth's already chosen that. So you heard that one last week. But I wanted that one because of a story linked to my time when I was in Senegal. And um, we'd arrived in the country, we'd moved to a regional capital with the intention that when we found a home, we would move 330 kilometers inland to a town called Velingara. So there we were in Ziggenshaw, the regional town, and uh, people would chat to us. We were white, we were with Senegalese, and so we stand out. What are you doing here? What, 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 will, you, what will you be doing? So we would say, well, we're going to Velingara. Velingara? Oh, it's too hot there. And after we'd heard this about half a dozen times, ten times, because everybody said it, it's too hot there, I began to think, if Senegalese think that Velingara is too hot, however am I going to cope? And then I read in Psalm 121 and verse 6 that the sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. And God just took that verse and said, don't worry, I am with you. And it was hot. I tell you, it was hot. If you think this last week was hot, it's got nothing compared to where we lived. Um, there were times when it wouldn't go below 36 over a period of 24 hours, let alone get up to it, which we did touch last week. So it was hot, but God kept us. He kept me, and his promise kept me. So I wanted Psalm 121, but it's gone. Uh, Ruth got it. And then I thought, well, maybe Psalm 119. And then I thought, 
Well, that will probably take three sermons to speak on it, not just one because it's 150 verses long. But I love the way that psalm gives different pictures. It gives pictures of a God who is near, a God who is holy, who's wise, who's a refuge. It gives a picture of somebody with a heart who is passionate for God uh, and how that heart longs for God. You can see the character of a godly person. You can also see the character of the ungodly. So I commend Psalm 119 to you. I especially love one of the verses, again, which is, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. I just love the way that brings together two things that seem so opposite. How can I run in freedom of heart in following commands? It doesn't seem logical. But how true it is. As God frees us, to obey him and walk with him. There is a freedom that means we can run with joy in our hearts. So anyway, I commend Psalm 119 to you, but I'm not looking at that one either. I could have chosen Psalm 91. I just love the way that talks about dwelling with God. I could have chosen Psalm 103 because I love the way that that speaks about God taking away our sin as far as the east is from the west. And uh, it's a great picture of the salvation of God. I could have chosen a number of other psalms as well, but I haven't. You've You've heard the psalm I've chosen. It's Psalm 67. But in saying that, I know that each one of you will have a... a piece of scripture that is important to you. And through this talk, I'm going to take little moments, what I'm going to call selah moments. That's a word from the Psalms. And it just means pause, reflect. So we're going to come to our first selah moment now. I'd like you to reflect. I'd like Gethin just to come up and play in the background. Just through that short testimony, as I've introduced things, you've seen how God has spoken, how he's encouraged. And you will have those moments. So I want you to think of a favorite portion that you have of scripture. Think why it's favorite. And then just give thanks to God for the help and encouragement he gives that. And perhaps too, just ask yourself, What place does the word of God God, have in my heart? Because unless you're reading it regularly, you won't get those moments when he just places something in your heart that is so appropriate for the moment. Let's just take a couple of minutes for a Selah moment.
I hope that's encouraged your heart by what God has already done. And I hope it's encouraged you perhaps to have more of a thirst, more of a hunger for the word of God. So, back to the psalm that I've chosen, Psalm 67. The reason I've chosen this psalm will become clear towards the end of my talk. But first, I want to take a walk through the psalm. Let's have a look at verse 1. This verse is looking inwards. And it says, God be gracious to us and bless us <coughs> and make his face shine upon us. If you think this verse sounds a little bit familiar, you're right. It's rooted in the Aaronic blessing of Numbers 6, 24 to 26 where God told Moses to tell Aaron to bless the Israelites by saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. But back to this verse here. The psalmist is asking for three things. And he's asking for three things for the community of the believers. He's not asking it just for himself. He's asking it for us, all of us. He's asking for God to be gracious, for God to bless, and to make his face shine on us. And again, each of those phrases could be a sermon in itself. But a short look at each. God be gracious. If Psalm 67 is one of my favorite psalms, the word grace is my favorite word. In the Bible, out of the Bible, anywhere. Grace is my favorite word. Give me a book on grace, I will read it. And I think it's, it's the bedrock of our faith. Grace was there when God created the world. When he put everything in place that man could ever need. Grace was there when Adam and Eve sinned. And God made a way back for them to have a relationship with him. And grace threads all through the Old Testament, through the stories, through the people, until we see grace in its fullness appear in Jesus Christ, who we're told was full of grace and truth. That grace still bids us come. No matter how far we've wandered, God says, there is a way back. You can come back. And that grace is there for any who come back. We have forgiveness. We have restoration through grace. And how dependent we are on that grace. It's totally unmerited. It's totally undeserved. Yet it's ours if we take it if we choose to live in it. Grace, my favorite word. And then he says, God bless us. As I've said, we don't merit anything, but God blesses. It's easy to accept things from his hand as blessings that are easy to accept, isn't it? Like 
kids in a good school, a nice house, a secure job, a happy family. Those things are easy to accept as blessings. But I actually believe that the richest of blessings is when we can accept from God whatever comes and when we can still be fully satisfied in God. Sometimes his blessings come in disguise. There are times I would have chosen not to walk through while we're in Senegal and, and since. God took me through those times. But through that, in having to cling to him, in having to just throw myself on him, it meant that that relationship with him went deeper. Sometimes God's blessings, when we pray, God bless us, sometimes we need to be aware that we might be asking for more than what we're thinking. But we should be able to pray that prayer with an openness before God so that we can sing, it is well with my soul. Not just it is well with my circumstances, but it is well with my soul. And then God make his face shine upon us. And this speaks of his loving acceptance and favor towards us to do us good. I just love the fact that we've got so many babies in this church. I just, I just, I just love babies and little ones. The potential that is there. And I can't help smiling when I see them, usually. <laughs> Even if my grandchildren, I'm so proud of them. But there is something about children. They are their potential, and they are loved. And whatever else, we want to do good to them, don't we? How much more our Heavenly Father, His face shines upon us. He wants to do us good. He delights in us as His children. How many people think of God as frowning on them when in fact He delights in us? He sees our potential and He smiles. If you have difficulty believing that God is smiling on you, that he delights in you, why not give yourself the task for this coming week, just this one week, tell yourself every morning, God's face is shining on me. That will soon change your heart. If you say that to yourself and you mean it, that will sink in and soon your heart will begin to feel that his face is shining on me. So that's just a little uh, thing for the week ahead. So let's take a Sila moment, a very short one this time, as we move on to the next slide. This is an inward-looking prayer, but it's a collective prayer. It's not for me only, it's for us. So I will say this slowly, just pausing. You think about it as we say it, and rejoice in the God who does this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Amen. So having the inward look, now we can go to the rest of the psalm that is nearly all of it outward looking. So verse two, let's have a look at that. So we are blessed so that 
your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. And if you think that's slightly familiar, it is as well, because if you go back to Abraham, it's rooted in the uh, blessing that God gave to Abraham when he said in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and so you shall be a blessing and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So that sense of blessing to the whole world is there right from the time of Abraham. And have you ever thought how ridiculous that promise must have seemed to Abraham? He was 75 when God gave him that promise. Now, admittedly, he went on to live to a ripe old age of 175. But even so, 75, getting a promise when you've got no kids at all, and your wife hasn't had a child. And then God made him wait. God did repeat the promise that he would have uh, many, many children. His descendants would be as, num as numerous as the uh, stars in chapter 15. But by chapter 17, we learn that Abraham is 99, still no child. And he promised a son at this stage in Genesis 17 through Sarah, his wife, who was 90. Now, being 100 and being 90 and being told there's going to be a great nation that comes from you, God, your promises, that is not the sort of promise I would be expecting. But God holds to his promise, and it does happen. And I would just add, I don't think any of us have reached that age of uh, 90, 100 yet. God can have new beginnings for us, even at that age. But by the time we're into our psalm, those promises to Abraham were well on their way to being completed. Abraham died only seeing two grandchildren. He didn't see anything like a nation. But here... Israel is a nation, and the psalmist is now echoing the idea that it will be the ends of the earth, it will be all peoples who come to um, know salvation. And the psalmist knows that as God blesses, it's not for us to keep, it's for the world. And that applies to the whole body of Christ. It applies to St. Paul's. It applies to each one of us. There is a part that we can all play, different parts, different ways, in that reaching the whole world. So let's move on to verses 3 to 5. And there's a, you can see there's a pattern to this. Uh, a verse is repeated. But may, all, may the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Clearly, in the Old Testament, salvation wasn't just for the Jews. It was for the whole world. And the vision, the promise, the desire is that God will be praised and worshipped. That the nations will be glad and sing for joy by all the peoples of the earth. And you might want to talk about the different um, words. There's peoples, which is um, ethnic groups, nations, which 
could be countries, the earth, which is everybody, but the message is clear. God has a purpose for all. And it's John Piper who says, mission exists because worship doesn't. The need for mission will stop when all the world has heard. And it's, um, again, to quote John Piper, what the desire is, is to bring nations into the white-hot enjoyments of God's glory. The longing is that people should praise and worship and know God. And then verses 6 and 7. Briefly looks inward again. The land will yield its harvest and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us. So another inward look. And all the ends of the earth will be blessed. So there's a purpose for our blessing that it might be to the glory of God. So the desire to reach the ends of the earth with the good news wasn't something that just started when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. It started way back with Abraham. And it's threaded, if, if you look for it, all through the Old Testament. We are still not yet at that point where all the nations have been reached. Excuse me. <coughs> Today, there are 2.8 billion people who haven't heard the gospel. There are, when, I, when I say that, I mean where there isn't a, and, and who can't hear, so there isn't a church to take the gospel to them. And there are 267 people groups of over more than 500 in the people group who not only don't have a church, they don't have a full-time Christian worker. Now that is still the position today. So our prayer is that the ends of the earth will hear. So let's have another Selah moment. So it's an outward looking vision Ask yourself, do I long to see the nations worship the Lord? And then ask yourself, what is my part in seeing all the peoples know God's salvation and praise him? Ask yourself, what can I do? Will I go if he sends me? The answer will be different for every single person. But just a minute to look at those questions Maybe just focus on one of them. So, let's go to the story behind my choice. Did I choose this psalm so that I could tell you that there's 2.8 billion people who have no chance of hearing the gospel unless somebody goes to them? No, it wasn't. Uh, 
I didn't even realize that this psalm had such a mission content to it. I chose it because of one verse. I chose it because of verse 6. Perhaps if you take it back to verse 6, I haven't put it in the, um, in the PowerPoint, but if we take it back. So Richard and I went to the land of Senegal, that's as far west as you can go in West Africa, in 1982 to work with the Fuller Kunda people. Now a few of you will be thinking, Fuller, Fulani, any link? Yes, there is. They're a subgroup of the Fulani people who recently have had a name for persecuting Christians. And, and that really pulls at my heart because I lived with a subgroup of this people who were Muslim, who were very hospitable, and amongst whom we have some good friends. When we went in 1982, we went to the town of Belingara that I've already mentioned, there was a, and that's where we were placed by the mission. There was a small group of about five believers in a village about 33 kilometers away. None at all in the town where we lived. And it was uh, probably 99.9% .9 Muslim. There was a very, very small group of Catholics there as well. And at the end of our first four years there, we had seen one person from a Muslim background become a believer. So while it was good, um, our hearts longed for more. And it was in that climate of being a barren place in terms of gospel work that God spoke verse 6 into my heart. And I've got it up there in the version that I read it in. Uh, the, the version in the church Bible says, the land yields its harvest. But I read this and it was a promise to me. Then the land will yield its harvest and God, our God, will bless us. And I hung on to that verse all the time we were in Senegal and since. So that is over 30 years I've been hanging on to that verse. That God will bless the Fulakunda people in Senegal. A number of people came to know the Lord while we were there, over the 16 years we were there. Uh, in those, those who came to him from a Muslim background, quite a few left the faith. Quite a few were pressured to leave. And the number is very, very small who are still there as believers walking with God. And so I still look to God for that promise to be fulfilled that the land or the Fulakunda will yield its harvest. And this is where I want you to do something very different. There is a song that I think that fits in well with this psalm. It's Father, we love you, we worship and adore you. Glorify your name in all the earth. Glorify your name, glorify your name, glorify your name in all the earth, which is the sentiment of this psalm. But I would like you to sing it in full Akunda. And as you sing it, will you pray for those people? You will never, probably never pray for them again, that's fine. But just this evening, I would love a church full of people to sing their hearts for the Fulakunda people of Senegal. Uh, I will just walk you through that first verse. It's just about phonetic, so it's easy. 
And there's only one verse that changes between each verse. Only, only one word changes between each verse. So it's Baba, Minenjidima, Minenmanta, Minenjarama. Darjin in the marga aduna. Darjin in the mande. Darjin in the mande. Darjin in the marga aduna. And then it's Isa, which is Jesus, and then Ruhu, which is spirit. And it will change. The, the slides will change. And thank you very much to Gethin, who's practiced this during the weeks that he can lead us in fuller kunda worship. Should we stand? Baba minen jidima minen manta minen jarama dajinin de maga aduna dajinin de mandi dajinin de mandi dajinin de magaduna isaminen jidima minen manta minen jarama Dajinim de magaduna Dajinim de mande Dajinim de mande Dajinim de magaduna for singing that. Do take a seat. Before closing, there is just one more thing I would like to look at. I've shared with you an, as yet, unanswered prayer. And before we close, well, it's been unanswered for well over 30 years. Before we close, I'd like us just to think a little bit 
about what we do when we're waiting for God to answer. Or even when we feel that a prayer has been point blank refused. Because that's a, a situation we find ourselves in, isn't it? We can sometimes tell ourselves, yes, God said no. But actually that doesn't really help us inside, does it? When we're waiting, what do we do? There's a temptation to be disappointed with God, isn't there? And we can get angry, we can get disappointed. But it's a trap if we stay there. We can be tempted to give up. But we know that God is with us. We know that God is still there. Or we could fall into the trap of self-pity. I've certainly been there in the past. And God had to bring me out of it quite sharply. But how do we hang on? How do we cling on in those times when the prayer isn't answered or refused? The only way I know is to cling on to the fact that God is faithful despite what I'm feeling inside, despite what I might be seeing, seeing what I might be feeling. And he gives the grace to hang in there. We talked about grace right at the beginning. Coming back to grace at the end. It's God's grace. By God's grace, we can just hang on and look to him. So, another Selah moment. Unanswered prayer. Is there a promise that you've been given that God has not yet answered? Or point, point blank refused? And think through, ask yourself and think through, what will I do to cling on? And if that's not you right now, think of when that did happen and say, God, thank you for your faithfulness when it was tough. So just a minute to think through that. And for the last 30 seconds, let's, let's have the uh, verse up from Hebrews. So Hebrews 4, 16, bringing that into that time of unanswered prayer. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your call is not just to live our lives in your blessing. Your call is so much wider than that. It's to live our lives in your blessing, but taking that blessing to the nations, whether that's here in Leamington or further beyond or to the ends of the earth. Thank you, Father, that your glory is for the whole world. It's not just for here. And thank you, Father, that when we have to cling on to you, you are faithful and your grace is there to sustain, to help, and to take us through even the toughest of times. Amen. Let's hand over to sing our song.
final song.